Hey, welcome to Centennial again. My name is Ross. So glad that you are here with us this morning. A lot, uh, we have a very small crowd this morning. A lot uh, still at grandmother's house, uh, I hope. And hopefully we'll be back with us next week. So, um, gosh, I feel like asking some of you to move here. Uh, that would take some boldness. But if you don't mind, uh, that would be helpful to me at least. But uh, no pressure. Uh, one thing I want to invite you uh, to join us on this Advent season on Tuesday nights. We are going to be doing uh, some family nights, fellowship nights on Tuesdays, beginning this Tuesday. Um, want to invite you to join us at six o'clock. We'll actually be uh, serving a meal, and also this Tuesday we're going to be making a Christmas ornament together. So this is for the whole family, those without families, come eat and uh, do some fun things with us on Tuesday nights. Okay, this Tuesday is the ornament uh, making. Other Tuesdays we'll have different activities, but want to invite you to just have some family time with us on uh, Tuesday nights in this Advent season, okay? And uh, one of our hostesses, Miss Vicki, uh, is going to be in the back. It would help us prepare uh, how many steaks to know how to cook for Tuesday night, if you would let us know that you're coming, right, Vicky? Stay. Uh, just kidding. Um, bring your own. Bring your own meat. Uh, if you would uh, just let us know out at the Connection Center, Miss Vicky will be out there. She, you can't miss her. Um, tall, uh, giant of a lady out there. Um, Told you I was going to say that, Vicky. Um, so anyway, we'd love to know. We we will still feed you uh, if we have enough food left. If you don't sign up, but it will help us be able to plan and prepare well uh, if you'll do that afterwards. Okay. Um, if you forget to do that afterwards, info at centennialchurch.com. Okay. Can you remember that? Info at centennialchurch.com. You can always reach us that way. Okay. Yes, Miss Gale will also tackle you. She's the other linebacker out there in the back. But moving on, we don't want to talk about football this morning. Um, go ahead uh, and open your Bible. Stop that, Ginger. You came back this morning just because of that, didn't you? You haven't been here in weeks, and you came to rub that in my face. Um, but it, in light of eternity, it does not matter. Uh, at all. So uh, open your Bibles, if you have a Bible, uh, to Luke chapter 2, okay? That's where we'll be uh, in, a few, in a few minutes, okay? Can I preach from down here this morning? Am I tall enough that you can see me? Don't answer that, Vicki. Uh, we'll get there in just a second. Uh, last Monday, I was at home with my kids for the day, and uh, I was doing the dishes and kind of distracted as I was kind of going about my deal. And uh, my eight-year-old, who's quite the artist, uh, asked me as I was doing the dishes there, Daddy, how do you spell Mary? And I said, Mary, M-A-R-Y. And lifted up my head a couple minutes later to see that she had out on the bar there spread out some Christmas ornaments and was writing Merry Christmas on those Christmas ornaments and had written M-A-R-Y. 
Merry Christmas. Uh, Dad's fault. I say that because this time of the year can be a distracting time. We cannot kind of have our heads in the game, if you will, have our head in the season, and we're not really paying attention. It's rather ironic, isn't it, that this season that we call Advent, which uh, comes from a Latin word, Adventus, means coming, we're celebrating the coming of Jesus, and we're also anticipating his second coming, but this season of Advent that Christian churches have celebrated for hundreds of years. It's supposed to be a time of focus and preparation. And for many of us, it's one of the busiest and most distracting times of the year. This time that's specifically set aside to focus and prepare is busy and distracting and stressful. But no one's nodding their head, so I assume that's just me. Right? So what can we do um, as we begin week one of this Advent season to prepare our hearts and to not be distracted, to refocus, and to look at the reason for Christmas? Well, what I want us to do um, over these next four Sundays um, is to look into this classic Christmas text, Luke chapter 2, okay? I'm going to read through uh, in total the 20 verses from Luke chapter 2 this morning, and then for the next three weeks after this, we're going to kind of break it down week by week. And um, I want to encourage you to join me throughout the week uh, reading through Luke chapter 2, um, outside of Sunday mornings, and then also we have prepared, we uh, handed out last week a family advent guide. So hopefully you got this last week. If you were vacationing or traveling last week, we have some more available out in the lobby today as you leave, but this is a family advent guide. And uh, if you open it up, there's a link there that takes you to some videos that you can watch. It's, it's a weekly guide. You don't have to do this every day, but once a week. Uh, you can uh, watch the videos, and then it offers you throughout the week and throughout times of the day some opportunities like for drive time questions, bedtime questions, dinner questions, things like that. So also in an effort to help us prepare our hearts and not be distracted, we want to offer that to you as well. And there's also lots of daily Advent guides out there and devotional things, and we'll be posting some of those uh, on social media as well, but I want to bring the Advent Guide to your attention. If you didn't get that last week, be sure and pick that up today, okay? So Luke chapter 2, and uh, I want to summarize this chapter, uh, the reason for Christmas, this way, okay? And then we'll jump into the text. But And I'm going to repeat this uh, week after week here, okay? So you might... Uh, even memorize this. But here's the theme of Luke chapter 2. Christmas is the true story of the birth of a baby for the, for the salvation of sinners to the glory of God. 
Christmas is the true story of the birth of a baby for the salvation of sinners to the glory of God. And I'll show you where we get that from the passage as we walk through it here this morning, okay? But follow along with me the first seven verses first, okay? We read from Luke, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, these are familiar verses to many of us who maybe grew up in homes that celebrated Christmas or have heard this story through Advent services and Christmas Eve services throughout our lives, but uh, let its familiarity not uh, take away from its profundity and uh, the power of this story. We see, first of all, that it's a true story. It's a true story. It purports to be true. In fact, the first three verses, if you look back at them, it, it, it gives us these uh, indicators that this happened at a real time with real people in real places. So it names Caesar Augustus. It says, in those days, and you might ask yourself the question, you should ask yourself the question, in what days? As in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. He's actually referring back to Luke chapter 1, verse 5, where he's given us a time stamp there. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a prophet named Zechariah. So he's actually referring back in those days, the days of King Herod and the days of Caesar Augustus. These are real people at a real time when this registration or census was taken in real places, Syria, Bethlehem, Nazareth. This is a real story. This is a true story. And the author, Luke, wants to especially emphasize this, uh, even more so than Matthew, who emphasizes the genealogy, the lineage that Jesus would come from. Luke chapter 1, if you read, and we won't take the time to go there this morning, but if you read the first four verses of Luke's gospel, you'll see that Luke is taking great pains to give us the detail to say, hey, I've researched this, and I know that you want to know the certainty of the things that you've heard, and I want to let you know that these things really happened, and other people have wrote about them, and I've investigated what they've written, there's other writings out there, and I also have investigated this, and this is so that you can know the certainty of these true things. The Christmas is not uh, another fairy tale, but Christmas is the true story of the birth of a baby for the salvation of sinners to the glory of God. It's not a fairy tale. In fact, it's the story that frames all other fairy tales, all other stories. The true story of a prince who came to rescue his people and sacrificed himself to save the ones he loves, and then defeated evil and death himself 
to then reign and take his throne as in his rightful place. It's the true story that shapes all other stories, all other tales that we've heard. But it's this amazing story of Jesus born as a baby. So that's the second part we notice here in these first seven verses is the birth of Jesus. And it's surprising in uh, numerous ways, but let me note a couple of them in, first of all, just its simplicity. It's, yes, it's miraculous, but it's also incredibly simple. Now, see that Luke gives, in reality, just two small verses to the description of Jesus' actual birth. Now, there's the planning getting there. There's the responses of those who hear about it and the worship of those who come and check it out. But in terms of the actual birth, look again at verses 6 and 7. It says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Simple, factual. And then verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. This would be the sign uh, as was spoken because there was no place for them in the inn. It's simple and most of all, it's humble. As the Savior, the one, the Prince, the Son of God who would come to rescue this world would come not, first of all, as a conquering king, but would come as a baby and would come not to uh, a palace or some royal place, but he would come to this backwoods place of Bethlehem and he would be born not, again, as I said, in a palace but in a stable and put in this borrowed manger, this trough, the humility of God to come as a baby and to come in this poor, uh, out of sight, out of place, of really no repute town to an unknown young lady and her very unassuming, unprepared Uh, ill-equipped fiancé, Joseph. Now, we've delivered three children in our family, all three here delivered in Frisco at a wonderful hospital where all the pomp and circumstance came with, yes, steak and lobster dinner. So these kids who were not royal, these kids who were not... uh, special beyond anyone else. They're in this beautiful hospital that looks like a hotel, and mom and dad on the night of birth are served steak and lobster, and they even take the babies out of the room and down the hall so we can get some rest. And Not so for Mary and Joseph. No one took the manger down the hallway. No one came and gave them steak and lobster. And we're supposed to be rightly shocked at this. That the Savior would come so simply, so humbly, so unassumingly. He came in humility and he comes to people who will receive him 
in humility. So we go on. It is the true story of the birth of a baby for the salvation of sinners. And look who get the first, gets the first announcement of this coming. It's the shepherds. Verse 8, starting at verse 8 through verse 12. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Some of us, when we hear those verses, think of the Charlie Brown episode. Uh, maybe I'm the only one. They, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. We see the humility not only of Jesus, but the humility of those first witnesses who were told by the angel that the Savior, the Messiah, has come. And that announcement comes, first of all, again, not to kings and princes and not to royal ambassadors, but to just common, old, humble shepherds. Shepherds that in many respects were kind of scorned and not even high class, not even upper echelon, high caste people in their social strata. But they're the ones that hear this wonderful announcement. And look again at the announcement specifically in verses 10 and 11. It said, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The humble Savior is announced to these humble witnesses, and the announcement is that a Savior has come. You see that he announces here good news. The announcement is not, hey, shepherds, take a lamb and go sacrifice it. The announcement is, I bring you good news that the Lamb of God has come for you. You're not providing the Lamb, but God has provided the Lamb. The Savior has come. It's good news. As Tim Keller says, what separates the Christmas message and Christianity from all other faiths is that all other faiths are advice, but Christianity is news. It's an announcement. Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, has come. He's come. He's come like this, but he's come. So check him out. Receive him. Go and look for yourselves. It's good news. Also notice in verse 10 that it's inclusive. Now, people don't often say this about the Christian faith, but look at what the announcement says. The angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? For all the people. A light to Gentiles even. This announcement of the Savior would be 
for all people. It's inclusive, but it's also personal because, look, he goes on in verse 11 and says, not only is it for all the people, but it's for you. Unto you, shepherds, even you, shepherds, is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. Even you, Ross. Even you, Doug. Even you, Bob. Even you, Radzel. He's the Savior of the world, but he's the Savior for you and me. And he's the only Savior there is. Unto you is born a Savior. A Savior. The only requirement to welcome a Savior is to have a need. Is to have a need. You know, I think a lot of us um, come into the holiday season. You come into December. Maybe it even starts mid-November. November, as you prepare for Thanksgiving, and you kind of have this. You kind of have this underwriting guilt that you know what I know it's the holiday season. And I know it's merry, but I don't feel so merry. And there's this little bit of guilt that, uh, man, I just know it's the Christmas season and I know it's the holidays and I should be happier, but I'm just not. And there's this disappointment about our disappointment and there's this guilt about our sadness. And here's the thing that we have to remind ourselves of this morning and this Advent season. That the reason that the Savior came is because things are not going right. The reason we need a Savior is because we have a need. The reason that we have to celebrate is because one who can put things right has come and is putting things right. And so we feel bad about not having the merry month that we should And I think the Lord would tell us, no, I am coming to you this holiday season in the brokenness, in the sadness, in the disappointment of the relationships or the job struggles or whatever it may be. This week, I've got to make a call to a plumber and to an exterminator. And I'm not merry about it. Life breaks, life falls apart, and some of you this morning have worse brokenness than that. There's grief, there's an empty chair at the table, there's incredible stress in the home or in the marriage. There's someone who's out of the house but you're still constantly concerned about and wrestling for and praying for. And so you kind of feel like, yeah, it's the holidays, but... But the Savior has come into the brokenness to fix what's wrong and to give us hope in the brokenness. To welcome a Savior, you only have to have need. You only have to have 
Christmas is, first of all, an admission that the world is not right. And the world is so broken, its brokenness is of, is of such degree that you and I couldn't fix it. Because if you and I could fix it, then Jesus wouldn't have to come from heaven into this world. We could just fix it ourselves. But Christmas is, first of all, an indictment against us that this world is so broken we can't fix it ourselves. But not only is it an indictment about the extent of our brokenness, it's also a gift that the God who created this world and longs to see it fixed and recreated loves you and me so much that he would leave the heavens and come down to rescue it on our behalf, to be the Savior that we couldn't be. It's messy. It's broken. And that's why he came. And that's why he promises to come back and to inaugurate and fulfill this kingdom in which he will reign, in which he will sit at the right hand of the Father, and everything will be put as it should be. Do you need a Savior this morning? Is your life messy, broken, unmanageable? Jesus is the Savior who has come to give you hope in the mess, to put what put right what is broken. Amen. That's the message. And so the response comes in verses 13 through 20. That's the announcement. How does the news grab you? What do you do in response to the news? Christmas is the true story of the birth of a baby for the salvation of sinners to the glory of God. And look at all the responses here in verses 13 through 20, okay? You might want to underline these as you see these verbs that jump out at you. Beginning of verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying, Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying they had been, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it, has been, as it had been told them. A Savior has come. And that changes everything. That changes the mess. 
That changes it for the shepherds. That changes it for Mary and Joseph. It changes things for you and me. Look at these verbs. Verse, we'll start at verse 16. The shepherds, they went with haste. They responded to go see and look at what had happened. Verse 17, they saw it. And when they saw it, they then testified. They made known what the angel had said to them in front of Mary and Joseph and the other witnesses that were apparently already there at the manger. I appreciate that. Amen. Thank you. And when they saw it, they made known the same in verse 18. And all who heard it wondered. They were in awe. They wondered. They pondered what the shepherds said. And then verse 18, I love these verbs that describe Mary's response. Mary treasured up all these things. She treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. All these verbs are action verbs. Verse 20. I left off verse 20. The shepherds went glorifying and praising God. Action verbs. In response to this announcement, in response to the advent, the coming of Jesus, the Savior who had been announced, they glorified, they praised God, they went and checked it out, they wondered, they pondered, they worshipped. And life was different because the Savior had come. The Savior had come near. And so they glorified God. What does that mean? They gave God weight. They saw this is a heavy thing. This is a big deal. This is something that life should revolve around. This is the thing that my life should be built around, centered upon Jesus Christ. This is what it all points to. Yes, there's brokenness. Some of the brokenness is because I've gone and pondered other things. I've treasured other things. Other people have brought brokenness into my life, into my world, but some of the brokenness is because I have glorified other things than God. I have pondered, I have treasured other gods than the one true God, and that has brought brokenness into my life. I've worshipped other things than the one who's worthy of worship. Christmas means... Life is so messy and so broken that you and I couldn't fix it. God had to come. And Christmas means that God loves us so much, he was delighted to come and be our Savior. And that message deserves nothing less than our whole lives to praise him, to glorify him, to treasure him, to tell other people about him, to celebrate and worship him. That's good news. We're broken, but we're dearly, dearly loved. I want to give you a moment just to close your eyes and reflect 
upon this announcement of Christmas, upon this advent of our Savior. It's miracle, it's simplicity, it's humility, and how we might respond to it this season. Father God, forgive us, forgive me for worshiping other things, putting myself in the center of my world, your world. Forgive me for failing to worship, for failing to ponder chasing after other things less than Jesus. Forgive me for my distraction. Forgive me for my cold, cold heart. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for thinking that I can save myself, that I'm the answer to my problems. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to do what we could never do for ourselves. Thank you that he came in humility that he comes to humble people who will open their hearts up to him and say, I need you, Jesus. And we say again this morning, we need you, Jesus. We need you for our righteousness. We need you for comfort. We need you for guidance. We need your power. We need your hope. We need your healing relationships in our homes. And we thank you, God, that you love us so much that you're just happy to be the answer to those things. Help us to worship you, not just this season, Jesus, but every season and each day of our life. Jesus' humility in his birth is only surpassed by the humility in his death as this 
very son of God would not just come to a wooden manger, but would lay himself out on a wooden cross to save us from our sins and the brokenness that we have caused, the brokenness that we have been victims of. And that's what we celebrate at this very simple table this morning. The humility and the sacrifice of Jesus, our Savior, who would live a perfect life, die a perfect death, and defeat sin, death, and hell by his resurrection from the grave three days later and would ascend to the heaven where he sits now at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for his brothers and sisters. We come this morning to the table. I invite all of you that have placed your trust in Jesus Christ to take that bread, dip it in that cup, put it on your lips, taste it and be reminded you are loved by Jesus. He's coming again. I want to invite our servers to come forward and as they do, let me read to you these words of institution from the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul says, I delivered or I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Come, remember and celebrate.